right, it's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with you. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and uh, we are very, very glad that you are here at Veritas Dayton this morning. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 1, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking um, at a long portion of text. A few weeks ago, we looked at one verse in Galatians, Galatians 1.10. This morning, we're looking at Galatians 1, 11 through 2, 10. Uh, there's just not really a good place to kind of cut up this text. So it's, it's a lengthy text. We have a lot to get through, um, and so we've we got we to get to it. Um, so if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the uh, white paperback Bibles uh, in the pew. Uh, at the end of the pew, it's not a pew, it's a bench. Um, but it's kind of like a pew. Uh, and, and you can grab that, turn to page 565, uh, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that home and make it your own. Um, all right, Galatians 1, 11 through 2, 10. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and joy. For This is the voice of our Lord. For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism uh, beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed in, to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles 
and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, this story that Paul has shared about himself this morning. Because it's in Paul sharing the story that we learn that this gospel that he preached, this gospel of the crucifixion of Jesus and death of Jesus for our sins, this gospel of the resurrection of Jesus, this gospel of the forgiveness of sins is true, that it's your gospel. And so we thank you for that assurance given to us this morning. We ask that you would assure our hearts now, help us to rest in your gospel, to receive from Christ Jesus now. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, so for the three Sundays leading up to Easter, we looked at Paul's introduction uh, to his letter, uh, in his letter to the Galatians. Um, and, and, and what we saw for those three weeks leading up, we saw uh, that this letter is from Paul. It's a letter from Paul. And we looked at the occasion or the situation that required this letter um, to, to be written. Uh, and we, we saw who the letter was written to. It's written to the churches in Galatia, and we saw that instead of Paul opening this letter with kind of pleasantries uh, like he usually does, he opens the letter uh, sharing his astonishment that, that he's absolutely uh, puzzled and baffled and, and angered at the fact that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel, that they're deserting their God in Christ and turning to a different gospel. And then in verse 10, we saw that Paul claimed that he doesn't preach this gospel with an eye to please or persuade men, but rather Rather, as a servant of Christ, he seeks to live for God's pleasure and glory alone. And now this week, we're getting into sort of the, the meat of the argument here. Uh, Paul begins to make his case that the Galatians should turn back to this one true gospel, the gospel he preached, and that they should turn away from this false gospel that the Judaizers had been teaching them and that they had been believing. He starts out by telling them in the first two chapters of Galatians, about the origins of the gospel that he preached. Uh, answering the question, where does, where does Paul's gospel come from? How did he come to uh, have knowledge of this gospel? And then in chapters 3 and 4, he tells them about the content of this gospel. He tells them the, the theology of the gospel. Uh, and then in chapters 5 to 6, he concludes his argument uh, by talking about the ethics of the gospel. He tells them about the demands that the gospel makes on our behavior and actions and affections. And so he tells them about the, the origins of the gospel that he preached in chapters 1 to 2, the, the content of the gospel in chapters 3 to 4, and then the ethics of the gospel in chapters 5 to 6. And what we get the pleasure of looking at this morning is the origin of Paul's gospel. Uh, the, the Judaizers had made a very uh, cunning and calculated accusation against the Apostle Paul uh, that he was not really an apostle, and that he was not really an authoritative preacher or, or messenger uh, for God, uh, that, that he had gotten the gospel from others and that he had tweaked the message and added certain parts and taken others away. And this is a very cunning and, and calculated accusation because if they can undermine Paul's apostleship, 
then they can undermine the gospel that he preached. And if they can do that, then they can slyly slip in their distorted and false gospel. And so Paul, because of his unwavering passion that the Galatians believe the one true gospel, he defends his authority as an apostle. Um, An apostle is an authoritative messenger for God. They speak for God. That's why we receive this letter written by Paul as the word of God himself. And so that's what our text this morning focuses in on for us. Where did Paul's gospel come from? Why should the Galatians believe it? Is, is Paul trustworthy? Or is what the, the, the Judaizers, what they're saying about Paul true? Did, did he become a Christian and immediately claim to be an apostle in order to get position or power in a new religious community? Did he make up this gospel or did he receive it from someone else and then tweak it a little bit? Is, is he some second-rate apostle who's not to be trusted in the same way that the rest of the apostles are, like Peter and, and John and James? These are the types of questions that the Galatians are asking, and not only the Galatians, but, but people are still making these types of claims today. Many intellectuals and scholars and, and skeptics often seek to explain away the, the message of Paul by claiming that he was an opportunist who latched on to a new religious community in order to acquire position and authority and power. And one of the more famous among them would be our, our third president, um, Thomas Jefferson. He once said in a letter to a friend that the Apostle Paul was the first great distorter of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, And people still make these sorts of claims today in order to undermine and explain away the gospel that Paul preached. So so what of it? Did did Paul corrupt and change the teachings of Jesus? Is the gospel that Paul preached of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this made-up message, or is it a twisted message that, that Jesus preached? And it's enormously important that we answer these questions and get these questions right. Because how we answer the question of whether or not Paul is an apostle determines how we define the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And if these questions are answered wrongly, our assurance, our peace of conscience, our future in the new heavens and the new earth are all at stake. These are enormously important questions for us. And to answer these questions for us, Paul tells a story. Paul tells a story. He tells his own story, actually. And the story he tells about himself answers these questions and puts to rest the accusations of the Judaizers and those who wish to extinguish the ministry and message of Paul. And in doing so, he confirms to us, he confirms to us that the gospel he preached is God's gospel. And so we'll look at two points over the next few moments. The first one is Paul's story. And the second is God's gospel. Paul's story and God's gospel. And this will unpack our big idea for the morning uh, and the big idea of our text, which is this. Paul's story confirms that the gospel he preached is God's gospel. Okay, so we'll look at Paul's story and God's gospel. So let's begin by looking at Paul's story. The main point of Paul sharing his story is to, is to support the claim he makes in verses 11 and 12. If you want to look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 here, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Paul is saying the gospel I preached is not some message I came up with. The gospel I preached is not something I learned from another Christian. The gospel I preached is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one true gospel. And the gospel I preached is God's gospel. I got this gospel straight from Jesus Christ himself. No one evangelized me. No one discipled me. I met with Jesus Christ face to face, and that is where I received this gospel. It was straight from Jesus Christ himself. It was straight from God himself. And then he launches into this story to show where he got the gospel from in order to defend his claim. And we, and, and we uh, talked quite a bit about this in our first sermon of the sermon series. We talked about how this is Paul's defense of his apostleship. And, and that's the main focus of our text today. Paul tells a story to let the Galatians know that his gospel is God's gospel. And in this story, we'll see six defenses of that claim that his gospel is God's gospel. First, defends his claim by telling the Galatians about his life before he became a Christian. Before his apostleship, before his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he says this about his previous life. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. And so his reason for sharing this is, is twofold. For one, he shares this part of the story to show the contrast between his life before uh, Jesus, a, a life of, of slavery to the law and to people-pleasing, and, and to contrast that with his life after Jesus, his life in Christ. He's saying, before I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, I was bitterly angry. I was persecuting the church of God. I was seeking to impress in order to advance in my religious community. But now I am preaching the gospel I once tried to destroy. And now I'm not only preaching the gospel I once tried to destroy, but I'm preaching it to Gentiles. And Paul, before he was a Christian, hated Gentiles. He was saying nothing but the supernatural intervention of Jesus Christ could explain this. It had to have been the real deal. It had to have been the power of the cross of Christ. The transformation that took place in Paul's life has no other explanation. But then also he wants the Galatians to know that he had absolutely no self-seeking reason to become a Christian before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had absolutely no secret reasons hidden in the recesses of his heart. He was not looking for fame. He was not looking for power. He had those things in his life within Judaism. Even as a youngin, Paul was, was looked up to. He was advancing greatly in the, in the Jewish community. He was looked up to for his zeal and his commitment to his law. And, and, and he was advancing and had advanced so far in that life already. If that's what he was really after, he would have just stayed in that community. He wouldn't have begun to follow Jesus. And then secondly, Paul defends his claim by talking about his conversion, what happened immediately after. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul is saying, my, my conversion took place because God revealed his son to me. 
So Paul wasn't evangelized by anyone. No one shared the gospel with Paul. No, not one of the apostles, not a pastor from a local church, not any of the members of the church in Damascus. God had set Paul apart from the foundation of the world and called him and revealed his son to him, like physically put Jesus before his eyes so that in the history of redemption, Paul might fulfill the role of bringing the gospel to the Gentile world so that you and I and all the other Gentiles in the world would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't led to Christ by anyone. He saw Jesus with his very own eyes. And then after that event, Paul didn't spend time with the other apostles to have them help him with his doctrine. He wasn't discipled by them. He didn't go through a a, a beginner's Bible study or sit in a foundations class. Uh, You and I, we, we need to be discipled by others. You and I need to be trained and we need to learn the gospel from others. But Paul didn't need that. He wasn't taught the gospel by anyone except for Jesus Christ himself. He didn't even go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him. He he immediately started to preach in Damascus. And then a threat was put on his life while he was there. So he went away to Arabia to preach the gospel there and then came back to Damascus to preach the gospel there again. And he didn't need anybody's help to preach this gospel. His gospel was taught to him by Jesus Christ himself. Third, he defends his claim uh, in, in beginning with chapter 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. So after three years of apostolic ministry under his belt, Paul finally went to go see Peter in Jerusalem. And he met James too. And, and, and get this, he only spent 15 days with Peter. You know, that's, that's enough time to get acquainted. That's enough time to get to know someone. And I would guess that Paul probably learned some historical details ab- uh, about Peter's time with Jesus, but he wasn't there for theological instruction from Peter and the rest of the apostles. He didn't even see the rest of the apostles, and this time with Peter was minimal anyways. So the, the 15 days there couldn't count as Paul receiving the gospel from Peter. He didn't receive it from the apostles. He got it from Jesus Christ himself. Fourth, he says that after, that after spending only 15 days with Peter, he left again to go out and plant more churches. In verse 21, he says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, the churches in Judea were the churches that most of the apostles were a part of. Peter was there, and James, and John, and and most of the other apostles, they were part of these churches. And so, since Paul was relatively unknown to them, he's saying, they they didn't even know me. They, 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 They did not know me. I didn't receive my role as an apostle from them at all, but it certainly was affirmed by them, because they glorified God that this transformation had been taken that had taken place in Paul's life and that he had been called to the role of an apostle so he didn't receive the role of apostle from them but it most certainly was affirmed by them and then the fifth and sixth defenses are in verses 2 1 through 10 and and they require a little bit of explanation from verses 2 
1 to 2 of chapter 2 here. In, in the fifth and sixth defenses, Paul defends his apostleship by telling about his, his visit to Jerusalem 14 years after his conversion. So after 14 years of apostolic ministry, Paul comes to Jerusalem and he has a conference meeting with the other apostles to make sure that they're all on the same page. He didn't even go up to Jerusalem to have the meeting initially. Uh, he originally had gone up because of a revelation, a prophecy from Agabus in Acts 11, 27 through 30. And, and, and so Paul wanted to go up. The, the, the prophecy was concerning a, a great famine that would come to the Jewish world. And, and so Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem, and he wanted to make sure that the churches in Judea would all be well taken care of during the famine, which is why he says that he was eager uh, to uh, remember the poor. And while he's there, they finally have this meeting to make sure that they're all on the same page. They all get together to talk about the gospel and make sure that they're unified in the content of their message. And while this is going on, there are some hiccups. This is the the fifth defense. He, He writes about them saying, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now remember, The Judaizers are preaching a message to the Galatians in which they are adding the necessity of circumcision to the call of the gospel. They're adding the necessity of this Old Testament rite of circumcision as a requirement for the Galatians to stand justified, to stand right before God. They were preaching a gospel contrary to the one true gospel, a law-free gospel, a gospel of God's free gift in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, I brought Titus with me to this meeting, and no apostle forced him. He's a Gentile. No apostle forced him to be circumcised. There were a few false brothers who were in the meeting that wanted Titus to be circumcised, but we stood our ground, and we and the rest of the apostles stood firm in our conviction that the circumcision is not required for justification, but that being justified, that is being declared righteous before God, is a free gift that he gives in Jesus Christ. And then the sixth defense, Paul goes on to say, and this starts in verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So in spite of these hiccups, the rest of the apostles overwhelmingly affirmed Paul's apostleship. They overwhelmingly affirmed his doctrine. They said, hey, we're going to go be apostles in the Jewish world. You go be an apostle in the Gentile world. They overwhelmingly affirmed that Paul was preaching the one true gospel 
to the Gentiles. They added nothing to him. They took nothing away. He didn't receive his apostleship from them, but it was affirmed by them. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and encouraged him to keep preaching the message that he had been preaching among the Gentiles. That's Paul's story. That's his defense. And I know that was a lot to get through. Thank you for hanging with me. But I want to make sure that we understand this. I want to make sure that we understand this because, first of all, this is God's word and we need to understand it. But then also, some of the following applications are only going to make sense in in light of all that. Listen, Paul's story here, in in a lot of ways, Paul's story is like our own stories. It's, it's, It's earthy, it's filled with complicated details about interactions with real people and and in real places and real events, and it's really messy. You notice that? It's a very, very messy story. It's complicated. And he says that, that, you know, this is what I was doing before the Damascus thing, and then I spent a few years here and a few years there, and then I went here after that and met this uh, Joe over here, and then a few years later I went to Jerusalem and so on. It's, it's complicated and messy. It's inefficient. It's a complicated story. But listen, through it all, you can trace the sovereign and supernatural grace of God. Listen to some of these details. On the Damascus road, the one who had chosen Paul and planned for him to know him before the world began, called him and converted him to his gospel. And the churches in Judea glorified God because of Paul and the transformation that God had accomplished in his life. And and Paul and the other apostles, they were entrusted with the gospel from Jesus Christ. And the other apostles perceived the grace that was given to Paul to preach the gospel and so on. That the supernatural and sovereign grace of God are all over this story. This story is drenched with it. And every Christian in this room can say the exact same thing. You don't become a follower of Jesus because you're a good person. You don't become a follower of Jesus because you're more moral or intellectually superior to anyone or any other reason other than this. He who set you apart before you were born called you in his grace. I I hear a lot of people's stories. Such a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing that I get to take part. I get to hear a lot of people's stories uh, in, in baptism interviews and member interviews, and I love, that's one of my favorite things to do. I love hearing people's stories. And people often come to me and they say, my, my story is boring. I got saved when I was young, and, 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 and I, I never had a, um, uh, I came to faith at a young age, and I never had a, a big rebellious period. But your story is not boring. Your story is not boring. Anytime God chooses someone from the foundation of the world, anytime God raises a dead person to life, it's a miracle. And that's why I, I, I beg of you, like Paul does here, tell your story. Tell your story to any and all who would hear it. Tell your story about how God has rescued you in Christ, how he set you apart for himself before the world began, how he led you to himself. Tell your own story because your story, like Paul's here, is a defense for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an evidence that Christ is alive and well and sovereignly working in the world today. If you are in Christ, you are proof of that. John Piper once said that the gospel proves itself by the word of God. He says, displaying the peculiar glory of God 
and the transformation of selfish people into God-centered, Christ-exalting servants who live for the temporal and eternal good of others. The scriptures show themselves to be God's word by the new life they exhibit and the new life they create. So what that means is, listen to me, if you're a Christian, you are a miracle. God has supernaturally given life to you and granted repentance and given faith to you in him so that you would be forgiven by him and reconciled to him. And he planned to do that before the world began, before you were even born, before you had done anything good or bad or had a thought or anything. So you can rest in that. Your salvation does not depend upon you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, totally unable to do anything for God or anything to make yourself acceptable to God. But he's done it all. He's made you alive in Christ. He's given you faith and repentance. He's justified you in Christ. He's adopted you in Christ. And that's all by grace alone. And it's not on the basis of work so that no one may boast, but that God would get all the glory because he sovereignly and supernaturally did it all. And that's what Paul's story testifies to, and that's what your story testifies to as well. But we also need to understand that while Paul's story is like our stories in some ways, in other ways, Paul's story is not like our stories. Unlike any of us, Paul has had the right to say, I received my gospel directly from Jesus Christ, independent from any Christian or any church or anyone else at all. Paul received his gospel directly from Jesus Christ, or as he puts it, from a revelation of Jesus Christ. He was in no way dependent upon the rest of the apostles. He was in no way dependent upon a particular local church. He was in no way dependent upon anyone for this message of the gospel. None of us can say that. And that doesn't make our stories any less supernatural or less dependent on the sovereign grace of God, but we all heard about Jesus through someone else, through a Christian we know, or an author, or a Bible translator, or a church family, or something like that. We receive the gospel from someone else. We're all dependent upon the witness of others in the church to know whether or not we're standing in the gospel or whether or not we're understanding it right. But not Paul. The risen Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and rocked his world. He called Paul. He rescued Paul. He sent Paul as an apostle to the Gentile world so that we and all the other Gentiles that have lived since could benefit from the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the Gentiles. Paul's story and the affirmation of the other apostles confirms that Paul is an apostle. And if Paul is an apostle, then, the, then Paul preached the one true gospel. Paul preached the gospel that God himself delivered to him. The gospel of the cross of Christ and the empty tomb and the forgiveness of sins. I know that all those details might kind of seem boring to some. There's some kind of technical issues here and some historical things and there are questions concerning this man's calling, which all could seem rather removed from the everyday practical things of our life here in Dayton, Ohio, 2017. But this is not boring and this is not far removed from us. This is extremely practical because what's at stake here is the gospel, the message of God, which brings us to our second point, God's gospel. Ultimately, what all of this means is that the gospel is not something that mere human beings came up with. It's not something that mere human beings came up with. It's not something that a group of folks came up with when they decided to start a new religion or a new religious institution. Rather, the message of Christianity is from God 
himself. The gospel is a word from God himself. The gospel is a word from heaven that comes with authority and comes to us perfectly because God himself is the one that spoke it. This is God's gospel. And this is why Paul labors here to defend his apostleship in this letter. Not because he'll be out of the job. Not because, he doesn't even get paid from this job anyways. He gets beatings and, and threats on his life. Not, he's not defending his apostleship because of a paycheck or a position, not because he wants to win an argument, but because he wants to show the Galatians that the gospel did not originate with him, but rather is from God himself, from Jesus Christ himself. And since this message came from God himself, it is an authoritative word to all humanity. And to reject this word is to reject the God who spoke it. And if you reject the God who spoke it, you reject it at your own peril. And it has to be this way, doesn't it? The gospel, the message of Christianity has to come to us from God in Christ or it's just like every other faith or religion. And there's no end to the amount of faiths and religions that you can adhere to. There's no end to the amount of man-made laws that you have to keep or teachings to follow or rituals to perform or states of consciousness to achieve. There's no end to the amount of paths that human beings have come up with to try to reach up to heaven and reach God. But Christianity is utterly and completely different. It's so backwards and counterintuitive. What's so different about Christianity is that it comes from God. God is the one who comes down and gives it to us. God descends to us rather than us climbing up to him. We don't achieve acceptance. We don't achieve position. We don't achieve merit in the Christian life. We receive it. It's, it's, a, it's a gift and you often hear this analogy when people seek to make a case for all religions being the same, that, that, that God is at the top of a mountain and all paths lead up to him. But as Christians, we believe that we are all corpses at the foot of the mountain and we need God to come down to us and save us and make us alive in him. And that's exactly what's happened in Jesus Christ. He has come down to us. It's the complete opposite of man-made religion. It's not about us climbing a ladder to heaven. It's not about us earning our way to God. It's not about us. It's not about us doing what's in within us and, and God filling in the rest. It's not about us at all. It's about God and how he has come down to us in Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has come down to us to make his home among us and to make us at home with him. That's where the gospel comes from. It comes from God. And if that's where the gospel comes from, then how does it come to us? You know, we don't receive the gospel in the same way that the Apostle Paul did. No one here, when they were on their way to McDonald's one day, like the, saw the skies split and Jesus Christ appear to them and, and received the gospel that way. None of us had Jesus physically appear to us. That, that's something unique to the apostles, having seen Jesus face to face. But it ultimately still comes from the same place. It ultimately still comes from the same place. The gospel still comes from God and Christ to us. As John Calvin says about this particular text, everything must be attributed to the pure mercy of God. Indeed, what a free and open confession Paul makes of this. Such being the case, let us note that if God calls us to himself, 
it's not because we're particularly ready for it or well-equipped, but because it pleases him to draw us by his pure mercy. God is still the one that sets us apart from birth, like he did with the Apostle Paul. Before we were even born, he set us apart. He declared that we were his children. He placed his mercy upon us. This is what the Bible calls election. Election. It's God's choosing of us in eternity past. Our confession of faith here at Veritas defines it like this. God's gracious choice of certain individuals to eternal life in consequence of which they are called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And this choice goes all the way back to eternity past when God chose us for himself to adopt us as his children. Ephesians 1, 4-5 says, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. God chose us before we even existed and He planned for the gospel to come to us. And so how does the gospel come to us? Ultimately, it comes from God Himself. It comes to us by the pure grace and mercy of God alone. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We have that much in common with Paul. But it also comes to us ultimately from God. He's the one who calls us. But it does though. It does so through means, through the apostles, that is to say through the Bible. And, he, and, and so if, if you want a revelation of Jesus Christ like Paul had, you're holding it in your hands. You're holding it. It's right here. It, it, it comes to us through the, the, the reading of the scriptures, the help of a parent or the help of a friend, the witness of a, a coworker, the sermon from a pastor, something like that. God uses means, but no matter where it was that you heard it or who told it to you, if you are a Christian, you heard the gospel, the Spirit revealed Jesus Christ to you in your heart and that he died for your sins and rose again. It happened through means, but ultimately it was God calling you in his grace and drawing you to himself. The gospel is God's gospel. It comes to us through means, but from God and by his grace alone. Like Paul's story, our own complicated, our our stories are are, are complicated and messy and, and, and all that stuff, but still it's the miracle of miracles. We're forgiven and accepted by God, by his grace alone. There's nothing natural about this. Naturally, we think that we need to earn our way to God and earn God's favor. Naturally, we think that we need to jump hoops to get into his presence. But this gospel, the message of Christianity, is anything but natural. We rebels who don't desire life with God and who wouldn't even pursue it if we did. We receive life with God and receive it from God himself It's all from God. It's God choosing us, God's intervention in our lives, God's substitution for us, God's sacrifice on our behalf, God's grace to us, God's call on us. It's all from him. He sent his son to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve to die, and he rose to life again in victory over sin and Satan and death and hell forever, and he satisfied the righteous requirement of God so that we could be reconciled to God forever. This is not man's gospel. And because this is not man's gospel, because the Apostle Paul's story confirms to us that the gospel he preaches is God's gospel, we can rest assured that there is real forgiveness for us today. 
There is real life, real joy, real peace, peace for people with a past here this morning, today, because this is God's gospel. It came from God himself. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done this week, you can rest assured in this. If you trust in God and you trust that this gospel is his gospel, then he has spoken a better word over your life. He has spoken a better word over you in Christ. Christ has died to forgive all your sin and it's gone in Christ Jesus. He has declared you to be righteous. He has adopted you as his child. That's what the Apostle Paul story confirms to us and that's why it's so important. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to rest in the gospel this morning? Would you help us now as we approach the table to receive from you? Lord, we ask that you would bless the bread and the cup, that you would help us to feast on Christ's body and blood in heaven, that you would help us to be strengthened by his presence, to glorify you, to enjoy you, to advance your great commission. Lord, and, and, and we just express that we need you. We, we want to confess that we need you. We need your supernatural and sovereign grace to interfere in our lives. We're broken, we're sinful, we're limited. Lord, we're completely dependent upon you. Would you help us to rest in your gospel now and to receive from you in Christ Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.